0: to give the Lord a little bit of worship this evening. We just want to rejoice in the place tonight. Somebody didn't make it, so we want to give him all our glory. Amen.
1: That you have done in our lives may we please stand and go before the throne of grace heavenly father we thank you we love you praise you we honor you and we worship your holy name in spirit and in truth but we know lord god that your truth lasts. God, so we thank you, we praise you, we honor you, for it is in a mighty, magnificent, awesome name in Jesus that we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Do we have any birthdays in the house on this evening? Anyone celebrating birthday? Happy birthday, amen. What about anniversaries? Any other major celebrations? Well, we just thank we just bless each of you all for being here on this evening. And let us get up and let us any first, a second time guest with us? No, all well, hello. Welcome, my sister. Thank you. We pray that something is said here on this evening that will bless your spirit and encourage you to come back and share with us. Amen. So may we get up and welcome our sister into the house and just love on one another, amen?
2: life takes hard work, dedication, and commitment. You have sacrificed time and invested money to become who you believe God created you to be. But what happens when you find yourself in a position that could cause you to compromise your standards? How do you stay committed and consistent in environments that test you and stretch you to live with a standard when others around us are not adhering to the same thing? Will you pass or will you fail? Is what's in you stronger than what's around you? Join Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr. as he presents answers using biblical strategies in his new sermon series, Maintaining the Standard. Staying godly in ungodly environments. The story of Daniel living a consistent life committed to God. Join us every Sunday during our 7.15 a.m., 9.45 a.m., and 12.15 p.m. worship experiences at Tab Main and 9.00 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. worship experiences at Tab West.
3: There are few things sweeter than hitting the game-winning shot in basketball. But you know what is sweeter? Tabernacle's March Gladness Revival, every Thursday evening at 7 o'clock at the main campus during the month of March. It starts on March 7th with the return of Bishop Paul S. Morton from Changing a Generation Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: It is by hardship. It is by
4: opposition it is by difficulty that your spirit will be awakened
3: he's followed by the reverend dr frederick d haynes III, the pastor of friendship west baptist church in dallas texas on march 14th
4: and i'm trying
3: to say if the church is going to be a healing agent the church must follow what jesus does not just giving folk a word but make sure you extend a hand and Reverend Marcus D. Cosby, senior pastor of Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church, Houston, Texas, on March 21st. God said his son would be born, and he said his son would live, and he said his son would die, and he said his son would be raised again, and he said his son would come back for the church. The revival ends on March 28th with Reverend Arthur Jackson III from Antioch Missionary Baptist Church of Miami Gardens, Florida. I've got something that on the internet- inside that will kick in when things get hard. They don't know what do you have. I got faith in a
4: man that was in heaven. you had it muted all right come on one more time let's give God some praise tonight let's honor him amen let's bow our heads for a word of prayer Father we thank you and we bless you we glorify you we love you and we honor you for your faithfulness to us even when we have not been so faithful. So, Lord, I pray that you would once again guide us, lead us, strengthen us, encourage us as we endeavor to be fruitful. That's been our chief aim and our desire, uh, that as we continue to grow and mature, that we will be fruitful disciples for you. So, Lord, I pray now that as we present uh, what is part seven of this eight-part series, uh, that we'll build upon what we've already been sharing and growing. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good to see you tonight. And uh, once again, we got two more weeks. And so this week and next week, we'll conclude out. Uh, That will conclude our first portion of Cross Training with PG. I hope it has been helpful. Have y'all been going along and studying and reading and all that kind of stuff? I hope so. And then, you know, once we get into March, it's March Gladness Revival every Thursday here at the main campus. I'm telling you, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, We're excited for the lineup. Those will be sharing with us. Make sure that you are in the building for that, all right? Well, by way of recap and what we've been discussing and dialoguing concerning this whole concept of discipleship, is we understand number one, we talked about evangelism. It's our responsibility to grow the church, and I really hope that that becomes what it is. It's, it's interesting to me. How many people have invited people to church this year? How many people have physically dragged people to church with you? Okay, sometimes you gotta you gotta kind of you gotta go to extreme measures, and, and I say that you know I do think there is a lack of of true evangelism, you know, because you know. Stuff you enjoy doing, you invite as many people as you can. We kind of talked about that. If there's a new restaurant in town, it's flocking. People are excited. And so that same enthusiasm you should have when building the kingdom of God. We we talked about also the cost of discipleship, Luke 9, 23. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him, right? We've talked about hanging with the teacher. We talked about how it takes the Holy Spirit to continue to follow Jesus. And then we talked about obedience. Whatever the Lord says, just do it. Today, I want to take it further, and I really want to talk about nailing down the relationship because, honestly, one of the things that really begins to grow us when it comes to discipleship is that I make the argument that for many of us, the reason why we can't mature in discipleship is because too many times we have a casual relationship with Jesus. You cannot have a casual relationship with Jesus and think that you will ever be able to... Follow through on what we consider to be uh, fruitful discipleship. With that being said, let's kind of dive into tonight. So I'm, I really want you to kind of get what I'm flowing with tonight, so that it really kind of makes, hopefully, makes some sense. And thinking about that, um, number one, people lose their excitement about something that once consumed their thoughts and they've lost their zeal. Tonight one of the things we're going to really look at not just from discipleship standpoint but I make the argument from a lot of different standpoints. Many times we get into stuff and how we feel at first is not how we feel now. And it happens in relationships, it happens on jobs, You know, you're so excited at first, things are happy, this is the best job in the world, the best boss with the best coworkers. Now, here you are some years later, and you can't stand the boss, you can't stand the coworkers, right? And how do you navigate things when you're not as passionate about it as you once were? I see it all the time in relationships. Uh, Deacon Reed, when I was doing marital counseling, and I, I don't know how many times, newlyweds, they saw us said, oh, I'm so in love, and I'm, oh, it's going to be incredible, it's going to be amazing. Then some years later, they come in, in front of me again, pastor, we, we ready to call it quits, and I asked the reason why, they said, we just kind of fell out of love. The thrill is gone, right? Harry Emerson Fongsdick says this, I, I like this quote, he says, very few people have the chance to live their lives on the basis of their first choice. And like for many of us, we go into stuff and we think that, hey, I, that's why feelings can be funny. When I first went to college, I was thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I wanted to go to business. I wanted to get a business degree. I was going to get all that to go to law school until I ran into Accounting
5: 101.
4: <laughs> it wasn't just the accounting part. I don't think the accounting is wrong. The teacher just took all of my joy for the business school, right? <laughs> So I, the lowest grade I ever made in school was my accounting 101 class, and I've never understood. Did, you know, so stuff like that. How many of you got those same, same things that happen in life? You're so excited, and stuff begins to change. Here's the truth. There is no guarantee that the excitement associated with a new undertaking will continue. Too many of us have this false belief that you're going to have this linear type of passion and love for everything you do, and it just don't work that way. You can love it today and hate it tomorrow. There's no such thing. That's why we struggle. It's because for some reason we have this thought in our mind that I'm going to be right here and it's always going to be the same. I'm always going to have butterflies. I'm always going to be excited about it. And let me tell you something. That is just not realistic. Matter of fact, if you look at scripture, there's a text in 1 Kings chapter 19 and chapter 18 that gives the story of Elijah. And it also shows us the up and down, the unevenness that occurs and shows us the highs and lows of life. In 1 Kings chapter 18, here you have Elijah, and he calls down fire. It's called the, 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 the uh, uh, Art on Mount Carmel. It's the Mount Carmel fight when it's him versus all these Baal prophets, right? Incredible moment. God is magnified. Fire comes down. It's a great, um, I mean, watershed moment. And then in 1 Kings 19, guess what? Jezebel gets mad. She wants to take his life. Next thing we know, this guy that just had this amazing victory in 1 Kings 18 is in 1 Kings 19 under a tree talking about, Lord, take my life. The highs and the lows. Matter of fact, if you really want to see uh, something in Scripture, I'm always, I'm interested to read when I read the Bible. And so y'all know Paul is one of my dudes. I really enjoy how he writes. But can I tell you what I also preach about Paul? Paul can be petty. <laughs> now, everybody can't appreciate this, so. Y'all super saints, y'all can't appreciate, but I appreciate petty people because I can sometimes be petty. Am I here by myself? Okay, where a petty folk at? Please don't leave me out here by myself. I can be petty. I can. Sly, sarcastic. I try, you know, pray for the past. I'm working, but I get it from Paul. Paul is that way, man. If you read, if you ever want something funny, man, read Paul's last words in his letters read his salutations like you know salutations normally you be like you tell so and so I appreciate them tell so and so I thank God for them but there's some moments where Paul throwing some jabs one of them is second king second Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 and it's in it's in it's in reference to a man by the name of Demas D E M A S A S and in second Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 here is Paul telling his son in ministry hey man that dude Demas don't mess with him Look what it says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. In other words, what he was telling Timothy, look, man, Demas was my dude. He was my ride or die. Then something happened. He left me. Don't fool with Demas. Petty. I love it. Like, this is my dude because he's being honest. He's like, yo, we was cool at once. That was my main man. We was on missionary journeys together. He was a major supporter of the ministry. Now, I don't even fool with him. He don't even talk to me. It's so Bumpy, He don't want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to him. Y'all got people like that in your life? Like people you was all cool with for a long period of time. He was your BFF. Y'all talked all the time. Now, y'all barely talk. And honestly, it just said just happened. And you just like, I don't know what happened, but it's something happened. And that's how life and relationships can be. Here's the truth. The subjective nature of an endeavor disqualifies thrills and excitements from being the main basis that enables one to maintain an attachment to any endeavor. In other words, if your main thing for being connected to it is because of how it makes you feel, you're in for some trouble. I get it when people used to come to me and they used to, I, I knew we were going to be in trouble in counseling, Deacon Reed, is when couples would come in and say something. I'm like, yo, why you want to get married? And they'd be like, because we in love. <laughs> I said we got some work to do come on mother cables come on dig Reed. y'all can be on those who've been in it for a long time love feels good love is great it gets y'all I mean but if you look at it from a physiological standpoint it has been proven that the same feeling of love is also the same feeling you get from eating large quantities of chocolate so just be very careful <laughs> <laughs> about making the basis of a lifelong commitment on a fleeting feeling cause love comes and goes I wish I had a witness in here. Look at these married figures. They're like, yes, sir, Pastor, you're telling the truth. You you better have something more than love. You you better believe in your heart of hearts that this is your assignment and that you are willing to be through this thing through thick and thin. Because when you make that commitment, you are simply saying to yourself, I am committing myself to someone no matter what they do to me. And I would also submit those who also claim love don't really understand the biblical definition of love. (laughs) Go and read it. 1 Corinthians 13. It'll blow your mind. I'm here to tell you. And so at the end of the day, what we see is the challenges and discomforts and persecutions that a disciple of Jesus may face can easily cause the thrill of discipleship to vanish away. Here's the truth, just like with anything in life from a new job or relationship, when you began to think about it and over the last seven weeks that what we've been talking about, we've been having the dialogue discussion, y'all been talking amongst each other, y'all been like, yeah, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. But oftentimes what we wrestle with is we do not honestly look at how difficult it is to follow Jesus. And if we're not careful, difficulties can easily persuade a disciple of Jesus to abandon the quest of becoming A fruit-bearing disciple. Tonight, I'm going to say some pretty outlandish stuff tonight. I need you all to rock with me because I got some stuff, and I want you all to see Scripture from a different perspective tonight because oftentimes we do not put it into context and understand the realities of what Scripture is all about, especially when it comes to discipleship. So question number two, here's the truth. The personal view of the life of a disciple of Jesus can be very unappealing. I'm going to be honest with you, man, and here tonight, you're going to hear me say some things, and hopefully I can mess your head up, because I think oftentimes we do not understand how Jesus conveys, displays, and discusses discipleship. I'm going to be frank with y'all, man. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Jesus is the worst motivational speaker in the entire history of the world. I'm going to prove my point tonight. Like, honestly... You do not want Jesus selling you anything because salesmen's jobs is to make their products look good. If you're selling vacuum cleaners, the salesman's job is to try to tell you how this is the best vacuum you have ever had in your life. Car salesman, what makes them effective is they're going to tell you all about how wonderful this car is, the gas mileage and how it looks and all that kind of stuff. When Jesus starts talking about discipleship, he's awful at it. Because he's not talking about the shiny things. He's not telling you the benefit package you're going to receive. Jesus is very blunt, and Jesus be like, listen, you're going to struggle. This ain't going to be easy. This is not something perhaps... You want to take cash. So y'all looking at me funny, out like, what pastor talking about? Well, let's go on the scripture. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 8 to 9, verse 19 through 20. If you read Matthew chapter 8, there's a portion in there where people come and it's a portion where they're trying to develop discipleship. So they're coming to, to talk to Jesus about following Jesus, right? So, once again, what did I tell you? What's the premise I'm giving you is that Jesus was absolutely horrible at motivational speaking. He was not a great salesman of anything. So, let me read Matthew 8, verse 19 through 20. A scribe approached him. This is a person that writes down. When it says a scribe, he's someone that, that, that um, writes down what they read from Scripture, right? And he asked, he said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, that sounds like someone who's excited, someone who's loving, the, wants to be in all with you. Je- and watch what Jesus says to him. Foxes have dens. Birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Whoa, 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 back up. I'm reading scripture. This is Bible. Dude comes to Jesus and says, look, man, I want to follow you wherever you go. You are the guy I want to be like. I want to be a disciple. And Jesus' response to him was not, man, I'm so glad. I'm so happy. I've been praying for you to come and follow me on this wonderful journey. Jesus says to him, foxes have dens, birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What? That ain't appealing. He literally said, all right, you're going to follow me, you're going to be homeless. What? We think about it. I mean, that was his answer. He said, matter of fact, animals have it better off than I do. Y'all looking at me funny. I'm trying to help you. It's apparent that the physical harshness and deprivation was not accounted for. Matter of fact, Jesus is always highlighting the stuff that most of us oftentimes don't even want to talk about. And one of the most problematic ones in Matthew 8, y'all remember, there's a text where the guy comes after him and says, Look, Jesus, I want to follow you, but my my father has died. Here's Jesus' response to him saying that, Matthew 8, 22b. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. What? Now, on one hand, if you take that for face value, how insensitive. I mean, come on, can we, can we agree that that from a, from a surface perspective is very insensitive? He done, done said he done lost his papi, his daddy, and Jesus like, you know what, follow me, bump that, let the dead bury the dead. Now, if I told you that, you know what, <laughs> you need to be a church, bump. <laughs> Now, so what? They died. Let them die. They did. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Think about it. If someone says that to us, how insensitive. We'd be crushed. We think they insensitive. We ain't got nothing to do with them. Now, let me put some context on it because I will submit to you that I do think the surface reading of that text is probably wrong. Because I think the, the better rendering of that text is what he was saying was that he, he, the father could not have been dead because the father was that he would not have been there. So what he literally was saying, according to Jewish context and structure, was simply this, that his dad was in the process of dying, and he was waiting for his dad to die. Now, he didn't know when it was going to happen, but he prioritized that over following Jesus. I'm not sure if that makes Jesus' response any better. <laughs> really, I really don't, but I mean, that gives a little more context to it. Think about how insensitive that is. See, y'all being real quiet tonight. i mess with y'all. Then, then listen, so, all right, also, look at Luke chapter 10. You get a chance, I want you to read 1 through 12. It's what I call the pep talk. This is, now, if anybody plays sports, before the game goes, right, the coach gets you in the huddle, and he starts getting you amped for the game. For me, as an athlete, I appreciate those moments. I miss those moments. Coach would come in, and he'd be like, let's go, guys, let's go. We've been working all week. This is our game. That's when you get hyped for the game. This is it. Luke chapter 10 is his, is his pep talk for his his 72 disciples, the first one's getting out to go out on a missionary journey. This is him getting them hyped, letting them know, hey, man, we about to take over the world, all this kind of stuff. Now, if I was a coach, if I was Coach Jesus in the text, I'm going to letting them know, hey, man, you've been studying. You've been getting prepared. You ready to do this. Man, I can't imagine how many souls going to be saved. Man, you're going to be unstoppable. You're going to go out there for the kingdom. You got God on your back. Come on, let's go together. One, two, three, Jesus. That's what I would have did. <laughs> We've been hyped. They've been running out there. Yeah. Let me tell you what Jesus says. Y'all read the Bible, right? Luke chapter 10. Let me read you Jesus' pep talk to his disciples. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. These are the missionaries. These are those who are going ahead of him. Notice what he said. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest, send out workers into his harvest. Now, go. I'm sending you like lambs. Among wolves Don't carry money bag Traveling bag Sandals Don't greet anybody I mean he goes on this whole thing For 12 verses And I'm reading it And I'm getting depressed Think about what he just told them I'm sending you out as lambs To wolves Now y'all so spiritual But y'all know There's a major distinction Between lambs Lambs are adolescent sheep They're young sheep. Sheep barely can defend themselves. Lambs can't defend themselves. When you think of wolves, you think of super predators. They are trained assassins. They're not just predators. They are super predators. Here's what's crazy. Wolves don't play no games. They normally go in packs, which means they don't fight fair. So hold on, Jesus. Let me get this straight. Um, you sending me ahead of you Like a lamb, and I'm going to face wolves. Okay, y'all, y'all, the most spiritual out of my Bible study this week. Y'all, so I knew, I knew, I knew y'all was going to be like this tonight. And he does not give them a sense of protection, he does not qualify his statement by saying, And guess what? They won't bite you. He says nothing like that. He don't say you don't get mauled. He's not saying that you won't have no pain and affliction. He says, I'm sending you out. Expect to get chewed on. Expect to get jumped on. <clears throat> Expect to be indefensible. What? That oftentimes when we read Jesus' words, oftentimes we don't even realize it. And Jesus basically giving them pep talk. Listen, you're going out there to ultimately be jumped on. And can't defend yourself, you have no claws, no fangs, nothing that can help you in this fight, but you just gotta go out anyhow. Who does that? Would you put your children in harm's view? From one perspective, notice what Jesus is saying. Discipleship is literally saying no, this is going to be challenging. It is what you must do. Matter of fact, Paul also shows us 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is also another piece. Now, I'm, I'm going to share this with you. I, I never forget. When I was growing up, I used to want to go to Morehouse College. I used to want to go to Morehouse College. Uh, my dad came down when I was about 14 15 years old took a, some college some high school students from Atlantic City They rode to a bus and they came to Greensboro And I jumped on the bus with them and went to Atlanta and so it was cool I got to hang out and I went to John C. Smith. I went to Morehouse College. Oh, man I wanted to go to Morehouse until my junior year a guy by the name of Wesley Franklin came back to school He graduated the year before and he was now a freshman at Morehouse College and so what they would do is my guidance counsel would, would allow some of those people during their spring breaks to come back, fall breaks, to come speak to the students. So he was, man, I'm so excited. I'm in the thing. And he's talking about Morehouse. And all of a sudden, in one hand, I was so wanting to go. But after I heard what he, how he said how bad Morehouse was, I made my decision I didn't want to go. He started talking about, yeah, it's okay, but the air conditioner don't work in the rooms. <laughs> and the food ain't good. I'm like, man, that's horrible. You are an awful ambassador for Morehouse College. <laughs> because if anybody's trying to advocate for something, you highlight the positive things. You don't bring up the bad... Y'all laughing. Paul did the same thing. Look what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul's speech about discipleship. This is Paul. Now watch Paul. He's giving his Wesley Franklin speech. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. Are, you, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times more death. Watch this, listen to Paul. This is Paul talking about what it take, what it, what the toll was for him to follow Jesus. He said, five times I received 40, 40 lashes, minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received the stone in, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things, there is a daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. What? Brother man said, listen, I've been, I've been whipped five times, beat with rods three times. Y'all keep an account, that's eight. I got stoned one time. That's nine. He says, I've been shipwrecked. What? I've had dangers on sea. I've had dangers on land. I've had dangers at night. I've had dangers at day. I've had dangers walking right-handed. i had dangers with my left. It seemed like everything he's always talking about, how problematic life is for him since he followed Jesus. Who sells a product bringing up all the negative stuff? That's why, honestly, that's why the world looks at us it's so weird, Dr. Brown, because we signed up for something, and God never promised us sunny days. That's my issue with this whole notion of prosperity gospel. It's so antithetical to what the Bible talks about. Jesus made this world. He said, "Listen, guys, in this world, in this life, life is full of trouble. But don't worry. I've overcome the world." He don't say you're not gonna have trouble. He said, "Here's the blessed assurance." That in spite of your troubles, I've overcome the world. So here's my question. With all that going on, who wants to sign up to follow Jesus? Matter of fact, it's it's clear in just a few verses we read for you today that a disciple of Jesus will face challenges. One of the worst things that has happened is that oftentimes we try to join this thing. And and I'm so hurt because I, I see many people who join it. And they don't join it for the reality, they join it for this pie-in-the-sky thinking and theology that assumes as long as I love Jesus and I shake 15 hands and I do three somersaults, that in 24 hours my life is going to turn around, 24 hours every bill is going to be paid. And oftentimes that's why people are flooding out of the doors because we've sold people an unrealistic reality about following Jesus. We're promoting a gospel that Jesus never promoted. Jesus always talked about the harsh realities of it. Matter of fact, he talks about even John 16, 3, when he talks about, listen, they're going to they're gonna hate you because they hated me. Even in his excursion in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was wrestling with that peace and the people who was closer to him couldn't even stay up and wake in an hour and he had to say to them, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. That the crux of our walk with Jesus And we say, what would Jesus do? I'm going to follow Jesus until the day I die. Understand where that takes us. So with all that bad news, all that stuff that's going on, how many of us through the struggles have oftentimes said, you know what? I'm not sure if I signed up for this. I want some honest people, right? And listen, let me free you today. Let me release you today. Don't feel ashamed just because you've had moments where it just felt like, you know what, God, I'll be honest, I love you, but I ain't really digging you right now, so it's okay to have those wounds. Why? Because that's just part of life. You shouldn't feel embarrassed that those happen. But here's the truism, and I want you to write this down. A disciple of Jesus must understand what keeps him or her attached to Christ. You've got to know without a shadow of a doubt why you're in this. And if you're in it for the peaks and for the blessings, without the the vicissitudes and the valleys, you will miss it. Matter of fact, if you're not bedrock on why you're doing this, you will never become a fruitful disciple. Because if the truth be told, there are many moments where it feel like the challenges outweigh the joy. And if you're in this, just like you're in with anything else, to be happy all the time, you're not going to be productive. If you got to feel good all the time to follow Jesus, you're not going to be productive. That's with anything in life. So what is it? What can help me stay in this relationship with Jesus, knowing what I know, knowing that Jesus didn't lie to me? Jesus never lied to us. He tells us it's going to be hard. He tells us we lambs among wolves. He tells us, matter of fact, in Matthew, when he talks about it, yeah, this you're going to gain. You're going to get this. you going to get this with persecutions. Here's the good news. Commitment, number three, is what enables a disciple of Jesus to remain permanently attached to Jesus. Commitment. Someone say Commitment. I know some of that hurt y'all, some of y'all. Let me say it again. I want to make sure. Say commitment. Let it roll off your tongue. It's okay. Commitment. Say it. Say it. Commitment. We ain't committed. We don't commit to anything. We drink Pepsi one day and Coke the next. We ain't committed. We'll quit. We'll quit. Going gets rough, we out. It used to be going gets tough, the tough get going, Right? Not today. Nope. Go and get tough. I'm out. We have a quitters mentality. As soon as something happens, we never want to stick it through. One of my main challenges with this next generation is honestly, they don't want to fight through stuff. We've made it so easy. Kids don't like their teachers. We let them leave the school. They ain't playing on a basketball team. We transfer them. You don't like your roommate, we'll let you leave. So we've developed people who don't have to be committed. We don't have to because we've allowed culture, we've allowed ourselves to easily get out of stuff. Not realizing that commitment does not mean it will be easy. Commitment says I'm going to press my way through what happens. Matter of fact, here's the truth. A disciple of Jesus needs something to nail him or her down in order to remain permanently attached to Jesus. I'm reading through Leviticus for my devotional period this month. And it's interesting that there's a portion of Leviticus that talks about when a slave willingly or voluntarily decides to stay on the job Uh, Because, you know, slave for them in that day was more indentured servitude and that's really their jobs. But they didn't have to be slaves their entire lives. But if a slave decided to to be, continue with a master, this is how they pledge their loyalty. They would go to a door and have their ear nailed to the door as a physical representation of the pledge of loyalty or commitment that they're making. If I had time and y'all feel like here in church tonight, it's interesting. Jesus says, I am the door. The ear is always important about, he says, faith coming by hearing and, and, and um, faith coming by uh, hearing and those kind of things. But also, it, it also pledges that in order for something to be nailed, that means something has to shed blood. Don't have time to get there tonight. That's another sermon for another day. But he talks about this commitment. Commitment is crucial because without commitment, you can't do it. Perhaps one of the best pictures of loyalty and commitment in Scripture is a story of Ruth in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, and honestly, I always say this, and I love it. I enjoy preaching that. I may want to revisit that text again at some point um, because I make the argument that a lot of Ruth is not really about Ruth. It's really more about Naomi. And if you read Ruth chapter 1, you'll get the whole gist of the narrative because it is literally a place of extreme laws, Tragedy, right? Roof one starts. Naomi's married. Husband, there was a famine in Bethlehem. They moved to Moab. In Moab, their two sons find two wives, Oprah and Ruth, and, their roof, and everything's going great until one day, tragedy hits. Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons die. So now here she is, a widow with two widowed daughter-in-laws. Life is technically over. Don't want to offend the women in the congregation, but in that day, not to have a man meant you were uncovered. Men were responsible for protection, provision. That's just the biblical days. So now she had no way really honestly to provide for herself. And now her two daughters have to make a decision. And I know we have vilified Oprah, but most of us would be more Oprah than Ruth. Because the decision she makes to go back to her father's house was not just a place of disrespect to Naomi. It was understanding, I need to go back to covering. I'm going back to my daddy's house. Because for her, that was a place of protection. It was also a place of provision, but also would give her an opportunity for a second chance. Because going back to her father's house, she could potentially find another husband. So the decision she made was the most pragmatic and perhaps the smartest move. That's why a lot of times faith is not the smartest move. That's why what Ruth says is honestly in our culture, if we were to contemporize her, we would call her silly and dumb. You crazy. Go back to home. Get all that together. But Ruth says, listen, I looked it over and I made the decision. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And one of the strongest declarations and statements of commitment is found in Ruth chapter 1. Because the reality is that what we see is that it takes true loyalty, true commitment to once again look at something and not know how that thing is going to work out and still say, I want to stay committed to this. See, the challenge with commitment for most of us and why we struggle, see, we want commitment with conditions. All right. All right. That's right. We get in it as long as we can dictate how it's going to go. I'm going to be committed to you as long as we're getting along. I'm going to be committed to you as long as I know how this thing's happening. But as soon as you do something I don't like or as soon as something happens, I'm out. That's commitment with conditions. Biblical commitment is unconditional. It's pledging your support, your fidelity to something, and you don't know what's going to happen. I make this argument. I always tell it, and I think this is always appropriate, especially when it comes to talk about commitment. I always tell people, especially if they're considering covenant relationships, I say, listen, let me tell you something. This is how you know if this is perhaps what you should do. If you can... If you can go through the worst thing this person can do to you and still stay committed, then that's an endeavor that you need to do. But if you say in your mind the worst they can do, you can't handle that, don't get into it. Because most of us found out the worst is going to happen. What you say ain't never going to happen? That ain't going to happen to us. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool, you're right, you're right, you're right. Didn't it happen, you shook, shaken, because commitment is not about conditions. Commitment is about unconditional fidelity and loyalty. So I hear you, I can already tell it's in here tonight, so let me see if I can loosen it up a little bit, because y'all like Pastor, you know, I don't really feel all that. I want an escape clause, and that's one of the challenges. <laughs> we want escape clauses, I need you to help me how I can get out of some of this stuff. No. That's why if you get in it, you got to be in it. You, you can't be in it partially. See, the problem, sometimes we get in stuff, but we're not really in it. Because if you already created an exit, you're not totally committed. Okay, let me go on. All right. So... Let me help you. So what does commitment for the long haul look like? What is commitment for the long haul? And this is what we're challenging ourselves when it comes to discipleship. Commitment for the long haul. What does that look like? Let me give you a couple things. When it comes to commitment for the long haul, number one, surrender. Someone say surrender. Surrender. Literally what I'm submitting to you is that if you're going to be committed for the long haul, it takes surrender. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 1 is, is, is the Hebrews reality where he once again talks about following Jesus. Let me read uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1. This is what it says. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Watch this. This is an important portion. If you're out in your Bible, underline this. This is an important portion of this. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Here's what's crazy, and this is where I appreciate the verbiage of the Hebrew writer because he he makes discipleship, followership of Jesus tantamount and parallel with a race. But he lets us know that this is not a sprint. But when he says a race with endurance, he's speaking of a marathon. Now, see, there's a difference between a sprint and a marathon. See, a sprint, normally the one who wins is the most gifted because sprinting really shows who's the fastest. It's a shorter burst of period. It's really, really the most physically uh, gifted people normally win in sprints. That's just how that works, right? But marathons are not necessarily the most gifted runners. They're the runners who understand that they are called to run all the way to the end. See, it's easy to run short bursts, but it is difficult to run long distance because I make the argument that long distance from a physiological perspective is difficult because our bodies were not conditioned or even designed to last that long. Most marathons are about 26 miles. Someone say, "Hold, oh, Jesus. 26 miles. What makes a marathon hard is that there comes a point in the race that every runner knows you hit what is called the wall. The wall is when your lungs start to get restricted. The the wall is when your muscles start to ache and you start to cramp up. The, The wall is when you just get delirious because everything now seems to go because your body gets into what is called survival mode because it's not necessarily designed to last that long. That's why you see some people pass out and they don't even remember what happened. They'd be just running and running and then all of a sudden they don't know what happened because the longer the race, the more disciplined and endurance you got to have. And he says that just like running a marathon takes endurance, you're going to have to learn how to push through the wall to follow Jesus. There are moments you're going to get fatigued, you're going to have to keep on running. There are moments your muscles going to start cramping, your body is going to start to weak on you. There are going to be times you're going to be just delirious and just running. You don't even know what you're doing, you're just pumping your arms, but you got to keep going. I love this quote that's given to us by a man by the name of Gary L. Thomas, where he says, surrender means adopting the right inner attitude to every outer circumstance. If I had time, I would tell you that's why most times when you see people who win the marathons, most of them come from Africa because physiologically their bodies have been trained based upon where they are locale that their lungs are larger. They can, they can take in more breaths and they're, because of their lung capacity, it allows them to push through what normal people can't push through. In other words, it confirms what Gary O. Thomas says that in order to, to handle my external, I got to be strong internally. Listen to what he says. What makes me endure is stuff you can't see. Yes. <laughs> the great violinist by the name of Yehudu Menuhin was asked to define the secret of his genius. And this is the answer he gave. Surrender. He literally says the violinist must surrender to the violin. In other words, that's the same way a disciple of Jesus must surrender to the lordship of Jesus. So if I'm going to, first of all, be committed for the long haul, it's going to take surrender. Someone say surrender. Number B, it takes conviction. Someone say conviction, conviction. For a disciple of Jesus to maintain their commitment to being a disciple, their commitment must be held from the inside out. Hear me and hear me clearly. A disciple must be driven by the convictions to maintain a commitment convictions is literally what you believe. What's your belief system? It's always interesting. I always tell people, you know, I, I've been quite a few schools and, and here's what's crazy. I always make this joke because uh, I, 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 I never get going to seminary, man. When I go to seminary, people believe going to seminary. Oh, that's some preaching school. But here's the thing. I, I have seen people come to seminary loving Jesus and leaving atheist. And I always tell people who are considering theological education, going to seminary and all those good things, and I'm an advocate for education, but I always tell them, before you go, you better know Jesus for yourself. Because the role of theological education, especially in this day and age, is not to give you Jesus, but to really take your Jesus. So you better know him before you get in there. You need to have some bedrock beliefs that are going to be unshakable. Now, of course, when you get to school, education is always going to be malleable. It's always going to challenge your thinking. I enjoy the intellectual rigors of school. I enjoy that kind of stuff. And why it didn't bother me is because I already knew for myself who Jesus was. So I was smart enough to understand, I'm going to give you what you want on a paper. So if you want me to talk about this, I will talk about this. It don't change what I think about Jesus. That's how I survive. You want me to write about this? Cool. You want me to say this? I'll write whatever you want me to write. I'm going to give you what you want because I'm trying to get as best grade as I can. But trust me, it ain't going to change or shift what I think about Jesus. Because here's the truth about convictions. So what are our convictions? What is the truth we hold dear? Matter of fact, here's what's crazy. Convictions do not always adhere to things that are rationally logical. There comes a faith point in your convictions that you may not be able to prove everything. I just believe it. There are many levels that cannot be proved empirically. I wasn't there. I can't tell you. I just believe it. So no matter what you tell me, when there's new evidence come out, cool. I still believe what I believe. There's something to be said about your convictions. Honestly, there's a part of me, and I really wasn't going to say, but there's a part of me that's honestly amazed at the supporters of our current president. I'm amazed, man. Like, honestly there's a part of me that admires their conviction to their candidate. It's something admirable. Now, it's crazy to me. Foolish, dumb. That's my perspective. But man, one thing you can say, those that follow my man is sold all the way out. You can bring whatever evidence you want to bring to the table. (laughs) You can bring whatever facts you can bring to the table. It don't matter. They are sold all the way. I wish I had a witness. And my thing is, man, I wish people were sold out for Jesus as they were for Trump. everything fake news. Conviction. Romans 4 21 says this, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Here's the truth, and y'all need to write this. To maintain our commitment to discipleship, we must have the same convictions about Jesus that cannot be altered. You got to know that you know. I taught it a few years ago the Apostles' Creed. Who is Jesus? Born of a virgin Mary, lived 33 years was betrayed and denied by his disciples, was crucified, buried three days later, rose again, walked the world 40 days, and now was ascended on the right hand of the Father. There's some truths that are non-negotiable. And one of the things is that oftentimes, and while we get messed up, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna be honest with y'all, Google gonna mess some of y'all up. (laughs) Wikipedia gonna mess some of y'all up, yeah. I Googled it and it had said, and so I just believe it. Yeah, that's like believing this dude, Jesse. What's his name? His name, Jesse. His mama called him Jesse, I'm gonna call him Jesse. Now, listen, black people, we done fall head, line, and sinker for this whole thing. We, about a week ago, we were like, yeah, justice for Jesse. <laughs> justice for Jesse. It ain't funny, but it is hilariously funny, man. I'm telling you, because we were sold out. Hashtag, we ready to riot. Brother man took himself in today. He like, <laughs> <laughs> he's so stupid. <laughs> he wrote a check in his name for $3,500, because he mad how much he was getting paid. <laughs> Oh, my God. How can you make that up? How dumb you gotta <laughs> oh. I ain't gonna make it. Oh. oh, I ain't gonna make it. How dumb you gotta be. Hey, buddy. was on national TV getting interviewed by Robin Roberts. (laughs) Oh, God. And we black people wanted to believe him so bad. (laughs) Why not hire white people to beat you up? (laughs) Oh, my.
5: I to get back.
4: Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm mad because he light-skinned. Come on. We just making a comeback and you do this. We just got back on Wakanda. Now we get this. Ain't just mess it up for us light-skinned brothers. We've been trying and then he bring this. Man, we had Obama, Steph Curry. It was. We came back, now this. <sighs> okay, so, but, <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all pardon me, that thing was funny, man. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm laughing at more people on social media who in one week had to change their whole stance. We had the most woke black people last week. I knew they ain't right. Justice for justice. <sighs> oh, Jesus. Oh. Oh, man. I'm going to get back. I'm sorry. Oh, that thing was funny to me. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so it's almost like this. Let me get back to the Bible. Let me talk about the Bible. Let me get back. I'm going to be dying about this thing. It's hilarious to me. But like in John 6, if y'all read John 6, verse 66 is the largest church split in Scripture, right? It's when Jesus actually has people walk away. Now, he is, that verse has blessed me now. It's interesting. John 6, 6. 6 is when they walk away. So there's three sixes. Y'all don't know biblical numerals. Okay. Um, but it has always helped me as a pastor because I've realized if they can walk away from Jesus, they can walk away from me too. But in John 6, 6, people walk away. John 6, 67, Jesus asked the remaining ones who was the label, his lawyer disciples, man, are y'all going to leave me too? But John 6, 6, 8, Paul, Peter responds, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I'm going to tell you this. As bad as Peter gets a bad rap in Scripture, this might be one of the most mature statements ever. Because most of us would not have been bold enough and mature enough to say what Peter said. Remember, I told you two verses earlier, major folk left Jesus. Jesus turned to his remaining loyal disciples, will y'all go too? Peter says, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Here you have something that I think most of us struggle with because in this verse, Peter chooses Christ over the crowd. And most of us choose the crowd over Christ. But he gives the reality about why I'm choosing Christ. You got the words of eternal life. That's why John 14 and 6 is so powerful. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What are your convictions? See, if you are convicted about it and you believe in it, you're going to stay with it. Surrender, conviction. Number three, persevere. Someone say perseverance. Here's the reality. It will be impossible for a disciple of Jesus to be able to remain attached to Jesus without being able to endure challenging moments. Endurance is a byproduct of perseverance. Perseverance does not mean perfect. Hear my heart. It means that we keep going. It was once pointedly stated by perseverance, the snail made it in the ark. Let me say that again. That's powerful. By perseverance... The snail made it in the ark. Noah's ark. Remember, two by two. Okay. Bible study. Va- touch your neighbor say, vacation Bible school. If you don't know about the ark, then we got to... I need to go back and do some more teaching. <laughs> Here's the truth. To remain attached to Jesus, a disciple must understand that perseverance involves entanglement with a struggle. A person's attitude toward a struggle greatly enhances their chances to persevere through it. I've really taken up y'all um, weight training and all that good stuff, and here's what's crazy: People falsely believe you go to the gym to build your muscles. That's not why you go to the gym. You do realize that you don't build your muscles in the gym. Weight training is about ripping and tearing your muscles apart. That's why you're sore when you get through because the building takes place after the gym. It's when you rest and recover. The gym is not built to build you up. It's built to break you down because growth doesn't happen until you've been broken. So the struggle of the gym the byproduct of it is I get bigger, but the process of getting bigger has to be predated and pre-precursed um, by being broken down. It's the ripping of the muscles that allows the muscles to have an opportunity to grow through reattachment. Oh, I wish I had some people with me tonight. So the same way that I'm pushing and persevering through my training session the more pain, the more ripping, the more ability I have to recover, to get bigger. Okay, y'all got to catch what I'm saying tonight. So, 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 when I cease to struggle, I cease to grow because struggle brings strength. Ooh, I feel like having church right there, right? Which means I can't abort it prematurely because the longer I endure it, the stronger I get. So what gives me motivation in the struggle is at the end of the day, I endure it because I know when it's over. I'm going to be better than I was before. That's the power of perseverance. It's, It's an interesting thing. 1st Timothy 4 and 10, for this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is a savior of all people, especially of those who believe. A disciple of Jesus cannot persevere through challenging, difficult, and demanding times without a struggle. Here's the last one. D. Righteousness and love of God. Let me tell you why you can be committed because God's committed to you. Let me say it again. Let me tell you why. In spite of being surrendered, conviction, this perseverance, here's what makes commitment Think is that what we learn biblically is commitment is a two-way street. The reason why I'm committed to God, I'm committed to Jesus, is because he's committed to me. Romans 8.35, y'all heard it, but I want you to hear it differently because it says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? But when you read the text, it was not written from our perspective. The separation, what was stated in the text, is not them saying how you're not going to leave him. It's written in a way to say he's not going to leave us. In spite of famine, in spite of persecution. So the faithfulness of God in our lives, it is bigger than our faithless moments. Y'all got to catch it. Because oftentimes we assume and we say that text like, ain't nothing going to make me leave Jesus. Well, here's the shout. It don't matter what you do. He ain't going to leave you. That's the power of discipleship and commitment is that God decides to still be with us. Here's the good news. God establishes a personal relationship with us and stays with it. God's attachment to us is not based on what we do or who we are. Here is what it's based on, who God is. That's a beautiful thing. God is not fickle in his feelings towards you. That's why Romans 5 is one of the most powerful verses of Scripture concerning salvation, while we were yet still sinners. Let me tell you what makes discipleship imperative. and I'm almost close. Christian discipleship is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness, God's love, and less and less attention to our own. Out of God's love and God's righteousness, that a disciple of Jesus is able to maintain a commitment of being a disciple of Jesus. Here's number five, and I'm closing with this. To be a disciple requires more than a contribution, but total commitment. Howard Thurman, one of my favorite mystic theologians, said this. The only way we can be made whole in commitment is by finding something big enough to demand our all. Here's the question. Is being a disciple of Jesus big enough to demand your all. It's almost like the farmer that had a hungry family and went outside into his barn, Dr. Brown, and they were trying to figure out what to eat for breakfast. He had two options, chicken or the pig. Now, for the chicken to give them breakfast, all they had to do was lay eggs, and then they can go clucking around the yard and be fine. But if that family wanted bacon, Pig feet, pig ears, pig snout. Some of y'all nasty people, that eat chitlins. He can't casually just give up bacon. It's going to cost him everything. And when it comes to discipleship, are you a chicken or are you a pig? See, most people contribute. But true discipleship is about commitment. All right, guys, we're going to transition. I want y'all to spend a little time. I went way over dealing with old Jesse. I'm sorry. You're going to mess me up for the night. So if you're watching us via our live stream, man, y'all can join in, too. We're going to put these questions on board. I want you to dialogue. Please give us some of your answers in the comments section. We'd love to, to engage with you guys. And thank you for the insight, and thank you for watching us tonight. All right, there's three questions tonight. Number one, recall a time when commitment you made to someone or something became a hassle. What made it a hassle? What has become a hassle about your commitment to God? That's question number one. I want you to spend some time dialoguing about that. Question number two, in what ways can we keep our commitment to God refreshing? What tools and experiences can be utilized to keep the relationship fresh? And number three, what areas of your life have you not committed to God and are you willing to commit to them today? All right, so in your groups, y'all go and group up, two or three, four, five, however many you want, and y'all just talk about those three things. Um, If you ain't want to talk to nobody, you shouldn't have came to church and sat next to them. So we're going to force you to talk today. We're going to force you. All right. Go ahead and discuss and dialogue guys and we'll we'll discuss it in a few moments. Thank you. All right, guys. Sorry we kept you a little longer than tonight. Hope to sound like y'all been enjoying this dialogue. Who has ever had a commitment that became a hassle? That's willing to share. Yes. Okay. Okay. Ministry was overbearing. you made a decision, but you felt like you had to stay with it because you made a commitment. Well,
0: God explained to me, if you staying faithful to that is actually staying faithful to me.
4: So that's why I stayed with you. Okay. So, ministry, okay. Who else? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else have a like a commitment that became a hassle? Practical, like it's something practical. It's really not meant to be super deep. Yes. Wow. Hold on. Okay. Older son. Okay. Yeah, that's a hassle. Yeah, you see you mind? Did I did I give birth to you? Yeah, yeah. I think you were saying something. You ain't on camera though, so you're good. Okay. You said you would do Saturday school and wouldn't get paid for it. So I, I volunteered you volunteered to do it.
1: Okay, Yeah. But I can't cancel, but I got to do Saturday school. And yeah. you know, they were supposed to rotate with me or were supposed to be able to step in. They never knew it during that time. So then
4: it becomes, well, um, can you just let us know when you're when you can't do it. Like, you're gonna get an attitude because this isn't what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to do this every weekend and not knowing unless I know it is, then that's gonna be it. But it's like, now I have no watch on again. Yeah, oh, welcome <laughs> to the club. <laughs> No life on the
5: weekend.
4: Oh, I wonder what that looks like. Okay. (laughs) No, I appreciate that. I think that's all. Those are things. Like, all of us do those things. I mean, we have commitments, and we make them, and we join up in them. We're excited, not realizing, hey, what it takes. I heard parents say, you know, I wanted my kids to be involved. I ain't know they would need a ride everywhere. So I encouraged them to get into the band and get into sports. I didn't realize I was going to have to take on every practice and then have to hear them practice and then all that kind of stuff. So that, that's what happens. And also the same thing, I think what you guys were um, leading to with about ministry and just kingdom, that, you know, this whole notion of being committed is, is not always easy. You know, I'm doing something that I've never done before during Lent. And so I'm challenging the church. Y'all are going to hear about this. So when you hear about it, act surprised. <laughs> that I'm challenging church, those that wanna follow, I wanna do a financial fast for Lent. 40 days of fasting. See, look what some of y'all say, mm, But oftentimes we think that fasting is just one way. And just cause you choose not to eat chicken for 21 days don't mean your relationship with Jesus got stronger. A lot of times the biggest thing that holds most of us back is really our finances. So I'm going to challenge us, and first Sunday, you're gonna, we're going to release that, and we're going to start the 6th, which is Ash Wednesday, and just 40 days. I'm going to challenge us how to kind of be good stewards over our finances, and, and, and hopefully the things that you share, we're going to give a, a big sacrificial hope offering at the end to, to a worthy cause. But I, I, I felt just that call because fasting is in, in multi, multiplicity of ways, right? So our commitment is not always easy. Be, be you know, committed is not always easy to do. All right, what, what are ways we can keep our commitment to God refreshing? How do you keep it spicy with Jesus? Anybody? Prayer. Prayer. you so saved. Y'all are so saved. <laughs> I just talked to Jesus. <laughs> right, what's, what's yours? I wouldn't say I not say spicy, but remembering my God, who God has been. To me? Who's God and has been. So remembrance kind of births this thing. Okay.
2: Okay, 30, come to Bible study. Okay, cool. Get in the Word. Okay. Good. it's a constant reminder good. to us good. To me, All right, cool. And keep your discipline.
4: Yeah. You had your hand? Yes, I'm sorry, Dick. I'll come back to you. Yes. Circles of growth. Say again. Circles of growth. You getting something out of that? Stand up. Wave your hand. So, so it's working for you. The thing we tried to start this year that everybody I've been trying to push and preached on and hollered about and tried. Okay. Great men's group. So just the community and fellowship. Okay. That's cool. Anybody else? Got anything spicy you do? With? Yes, dig it. Then I go to you, Alicia. When it comes to personal study. Personal study. Uh, uh, King James is so difficult. Yeah. And it helps me to, to read different versions. Yeah, different versions. So just really reading differently. Yeah. Like, normally, so last few years, I go through the Bible every year. This year, I'm going through the Bible with the message. Last year, I did CSB, year before that, New Living. So I just try to, I, I agree with that. I think that's always good. At least you had your hand raised. Uh, I, was, I go to conferences, like, out-of-town. You go to out-of-town conferences, and that helps you. That's good. I think those, and find out what helps you. Yeah, that's good. Like, for me, it's like, my devotional periods are cool. But I'm, I'm so competitive. Like, I need, like, the U version devotion on my phone helps me because I like what it tells me. You done went nine straight weeks. Yes. And I'm petty, so there's sometimes, like even though I got, I got friends on it, but I'm not, I don't let everybody see my thing, but I be seeing what they be doing. <laughs> so part of me like, yeah, they ain't ready in like three days. <laughs> I'm a better Christian than them. <laughs> it's, it's funny, but that's, you know, I work on that. Y'all pray for your pastor, I'm trying. But that helps like commit, why? Yes, you had your hand, you had your hand. Uh uh-huh. <clears throat> Okay, you YouTube a Christian movie? A Christian bootleg movie. You got like... <laughs> Saints, boy, we are something. Oh, you got a Christian... Go to the movies. Support our movies. I'm messing. No, but that's cool. Like, just finding things. I agree. I think those conferences have always been good. Um, there's something I want to do, and I'm trying to uh, figure out how to make it happen this year. I do want to go to a monastery. And just try it. Just a couple things. Um, Like I said, I have a book that I read in addendum to my devotionals. It's a book of Puritan prayers. And I just love reading sometimes the language. And there's some stuff I don't even understand what they be talking about. (laughs) Seriously. But it's just beautiful to hear the language or or their heart yearnings through their own interpretation. You know, something for me that's always cool. Because sometimes it's not just getting it. I just love hearing other people talk about it, so I enjoy even these moments of interaction are strong for me um, and 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 services in church you know i'm I'm just a church kid, so I enjoy moments you know I don't get that many often to go to church where i'm not working so I, I I enjoy moments when I can just go and just worship you know that's always been kind of very fruitful for me all right the last one I'm not going to tell you to do out loud, I think those are your own personal things about. Huh? What areas do you, are you not committed to that you need to recommit yourself to? And uh, I'm not going to make you say it out loud. You know, we're not going to put you on the spot. Um, but whatever list that you have, I think it's important. And I hope that you were challenged today a little bit. Were we challenged a little bit? too? about our total commitment, I think that's crucial. So I really want you to evaluate over the next week, okay, how can I get stronger in certain areas in my discipleship, all right? Father, we love you, we bless you, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, and God, we ask that you once again continue to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. As our offices come in place, um, once again, we got one more week. Next week is our last week of cross training with PG. March we have our March Gladness revival and other things, and I'll be reconvening back in September with the second portion and the second eight weeks. Thank you all for rocking with me. A couple of, of updates. Let's stand as we get As our offices get in place, as we prepare ourselves to give, want to give liberally and cheerfully once again. So that's new information. I hope that y'all join us 40 days of challenging ourselves, and it's going to be a, a really interactive thing and we're going to give all that out. And I hope that you join us, those who will. You know, we don't make it mandatory, but I'm always trying to find ways to stretch us from our way and our, our relationship with Christ. All right, a couple of things, all the ladies in the house, hopefully that you have registered. I think they may be doing it tonight. Z, am I right? You can register tonight uh, for the Heritage Tea, which is this Saturday, 12 to 2. Uh, make sure that you're in the building uh, all the ladies, and it's a great precursor to our women's conference. This year's theme is Flourish, and we're excited uh, this year, you know, we got I'm, and I'm doing some interesting things this year with our conferences. I'm bringing a man to the women's conference. I'm bringing a woman to the men's conference. So, we're going to hear from different perspectives. A good friend of mine, Pastor Bashaun Jackson, will be sharing at a women's conference. Reverend Dominique Robinson will be a closing speaker, and Reverend uh, Danielle Brown will be closing us out on women's things. It's going to be a great time. You need to make sure you do it so you can get the Heritage Tea and the conference. They are going at a package deal If you want that, I think it's always great for us to do. And also remember March Gladness Revival and other things we have going on, and also the financial fast, and we'll talk more about that. Also, keep the Broadway Church in prayer. Uh, They lost their pastor uh, last Sunday night, Pastor Clarence Joyner, uh, dear friend, great brother. Matter of fact, he just preached here in December for our deacon's ordination and uh, got the word on Sunday night um, that he passed and so pray for them funeral is this Saturday uh, anytime that you know it's, it's been a lot of pastors passing lately a uh, guy in Baltimore was 47 preached his service had communion at the church they found him slumped over his desk tragedy is he had five kids and was married so how they're having to navigate that losing their father and so that's it's been a lot uh, especially in the kingdom, there's been a lot of pastors who have been pastors. So I hope you pray for your pastor. I really hope y'all do. Uh, I don't ask for much, but just cover, cover your pastors, leaders, in ministry, and prayer. It's always important uh, for us to do that. All right? Father, we love you. We thank you. We bring these gifts to you. We lift these up to you, and we sow into the kingdom. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Repeat after me. Say, because I've been blessed. It's going to be a blessing. Come give your gifts. Love you guys. I'll go in peace. Have an amazing rest of the week. Enjoy yourselves, and stay good. Much love to you, man. Thank you.